unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm glad to be back on the mic, and I'm glad to be continuing. We took kind of a hiatus from this. You teased it out a little bit, then we kind of went off on a different rabbit trail, and now we're back, and to not hold the listener in any more uh, anticipation than we have to, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, we're back with our Old Masters series, and this is part two of that four-part series, What Your Prospects Most Want to Know. I would add, what is it that they want to know right away, whether or not you tell them might decide whether or not they keep reading? And the answer is the same as last time. What will your product or service do for me? But this time we're going into an entirely new territory than we did last time. First, let me say that this show is the Old Master Series because it comes from a very special book, How to Write a Good Advertisement by Victor Schwab. And I'll remind you, Schwab identifies four categories of things a prospect wants to know that a product can do for them. One, to help them gain something, to help them be something. Three, to help them do something. And four, to help them save something. Last time, we talked about number three, what their product, what your product will help them do. This time, it's what the prospect will gain. And you might be surprised with some of the things that old Mr. Schwab came up with. But I'm having a hard time seeing how you'll be surprised in the least with what I came up with, and that's this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and if you're writing copy, For offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Okay, so here's what we're going to do today. First, we'll go over seven things, all seven things Schwab found prospects want to know that your product can do. Now, it doesn't have to do more than one, as we'll discuss, and it may not even do any one of these seven, but these are all proven winners. I'll show you how and why, and we'll cover some examples you're probably familiar with in general, like product categories, and even in specific, like promotions you probably heard of. As for our source of these seven things, Schwab spent 44 years working in advertising, direct response advertising, tracked advertising, and he kept a lot of notes. Ad Age magazine called Schwab the greatest mail-order copywriter of all time. Now, way back in 1941, he wrote a series of five articles for Printer's Inc. magazine, which was an old advertising magazine, and he titled the series How to Write a Good Advertisement. Twenty years later, in 1961, he expanded that series into the book How to Write a Good Ad. The book is so important that my mentoring clients and I spent almost half a year going through this book in a special way I've developed. And I would say How to Write a Good Ad is as good in its own way 
as Gene Schwartz's breakthrough advertising is in its way. In short, I would say Schwab's book is a gold mine for copywriters. Today, we'll look at how you can use one or more of these seven things. And again, these seven things are what will your prospect gain? How will your product help your prospect gain one of these things from your product? As I mentioned before, you don't have to use one of these, but the odds are usually a lot better if you do. We'll look at you how you can use a general idea and adapt it to something else if you think that would work better for you. Also, a quick reminder, everything in this and the other three podcasts come from page 47 of the book, the first half of the page. That might seem like a lot of podcasts based on very little information, but remember, Schwab spent 44 years testing and tracking ads and reviewing other top performing ads. So what he put in the whole book is condensed practical wisdom. Okay, let's get started with what your prospect could gain from your product. Number one, health. We could do the whole show just on this, but we won't. The reason we could is pretty simple. One of the two most lucrative niches for direct response copywriters is health, and the other is money, which we'll get to. Health can mean so many things. It's one of the main three categories of life, the other two being money, career, personal and professional skills, and the third being relationships. By three categories of life, I mean the three categories that you can most sell into. Of course, there's more to life at large than those three categories, but in marketing, that's generally what you look for. As far as health and the gain that can result from your offer, remember that health pervades so much of life. Think of the friends, questions ask each other, how are you? And sometimes, how are you feeling? Most of the time, these questions are about health, or at least include health. Now, promising health as what your product can do for your prospect puts you into a wide open field strewn with landmines. The ones to pay attention to first are regulatory. You can't legally name a disease, for example, if you don't have your product specifically approved by the Food and Drug Administration for that disease, just for starters. And if it's approved by the FDA, then it usually means it's a prescription drug. So it really pays to go out of your way and invest the money you need to invest to learn what you can and can't say and how you need to be able to document it in case you get challenged. And even if you get past regulatory hurdles, it's important to remember that different people have different responses to the same thing. So you want to be careful about how definitely and specifically you promise results. Also, and hopefully this moves us more towards the positive side, remember that there are two aspects to health as well. One aspect is recovery from something that's wrong, like a disease. The other is wellness, something that doesn't necessarily fix an ailment, but generally improves overall health. For example, bodybuilding. If a person is in okay shape but wants to get much better muscle tone, there's more wellness in that than fixing something that's wrong. Supplement promotions are a big sector of health as a benefit in direct response copywriting. I have a question for you real quick. I've often heard it said that people are more likely to buy a cure for something than to buy preventative measures for something. People will wait until 
they have to solve a problem instead of preventing the problem from occurring in the first place. If somebody is in a preventative niche, though, if they're in a niche where they're selling a preventative measure rather than a cure for something, do you have any insight on the differences of messaging between those two? They might be solving the same problem, but some of them are solving it months or years in advance versus somebody who's solving it because it's a giant red flag that's on their front door ringing the doorbell and won't leave them alone. Yeah, really good question. In general, what you say is true. One approach is something I learned a long time ago from Cabot Robert, who founded the National Speakers Association and did a lot of sales training. When you're doing sales training, the insurance industry is usually a large part of your business. And he said, if you're selling life insurance, you literally have to back up the hearse to the front door at the prospect's house. In other words, sometimes if you're dealing with something preventative, you have to really scare people into buying it. That's one approach. Another approach is don't do preventative stuff. There have been some people, I think I remember Ted Nicholas, who said, and Ted was tremendously talented, tremendously successful. I believe he said he just gave it up. He didn't try preventative stuff. He just found it too hard to sell. The third thing I'm thinking of is there are certain niches and groups, tribes, demographic, psychographic slices, however you want to look at groups of people who respond better to this. There are people who are into wellness. There are people who spend a lot of money so that they can make a kale smoothie in the morning with fresh ingredients because the little kit is delivered to them every week or day or however often they do it. So it depends, but you're absolutely right. It's always easier to sell a cure than it is to sell prevention. Okay, what do we got next? All right, next is time. If you can help your prospect gain time with your product. And nobody has enough time these days, it seems. And if you can promise a legitimate, beneficial way to get more time in a prospect's life, you're definitely off to a good start. Why does nobody seem to have any time? I guess everyone has their own reasons, and I certainly don't know the answer myself. However, I know that in the past, I spent a lot of money on day timers and other time management systems. They never really worked for me, but I kept hoping they would. Being able to get a job done faster without a loss in quality is a great sales appeal. Methods that promise effectiveness and efficiency in the and automation of repetitive tasks are often big sellers. Even management systems like smart delegating are very popular with entrepreneurs and managers. Maybe they work, maybe they don't. But the promise of helping an overworked, overbooked person this way is nearly irresistible. Now, I have it on good authority from a quantum physicist that time does not exist in very small spaces. But I'm reasonably certain just about everyone who listens to this podcast and everyone you sell to lives in a much larger space than the kind of space where time does not exist. No matter what you're selling, saving time is an angle worth looking at. I just learned about a product through one of my Twitter friends called Peeps, and it cleans eyeglasses better than what I was doing before with spray and cloths. And that's why I bought it. And it works. But after I used it, I realized I was cutting the time in half to clean a pair of glasses as well. Cutting the time in half. They don't have that in their marketing copy. I went back and checked, 
but they might sell even more of them if they did. Your thoughts, Nathan, about time, if you have time for it. (laughs) I feel like as I'm getting older, not only do I not have as much time, the time that I do have seems to be going by faster and faster. So if somebody out there has a solution for that, I'm the prime buyer for it. Yes, we need to get you a time machine or a time stretcher for Nathan. There you go. Nathan wants your time stretcher. Okay, good. Number three, money. So Danny DeVito said it best in the film Heist. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. Uh, Never mind whether it makes sense or not. It sticks. That's why I remember it 20 years later. Money, of course, is the other enormous category besides health that includes all kinds of results people want, usually at least enthusiastically and sometimes desperately. So promotions promising money are in the other big category regulators just love to take a good look at. You want someone to read your copy? Well, might be a regulator, which means you need to be careful here about the promises you make and how you make them. Or to be blunt, you just could find your butt getting hauled into court. That said, there are plenty of ways to promise financial gain without getting in trouble, and I'll leave it to you and your lawyer to find the safest way to do that. The big category that attracts many of the best copywriters is financial advice in the form of newsletters and other advisory services. As just one example, most of Agora's info products are in the financial realm. Business opportunity is another huge category. If you can show someone how to turn a hobby into a profitable business, that can become a very successful promotion. But straight-up marketing instruction and services are in perpetual demand. And there's a reasonable chance the information or the service will help make the prospect money in their business. There are lots of ways to be creative when you use money as one of your appeals or the appeal. Just be really careful about specific amount or time-based promises. Again, did I mention this is one of the topics where a legal review is a very good idea? What I like to do is I like to pose as a Nigerian prince and send people emails. (laughs) You do? How's that working out for you? Uh, Well, the regulators are coming after me now, so. Uh Uh-oh. We'll have to pick this up later and I'll let you know. Okay, sounds good. Hey, let me ask you something. How would you like a complete copywriting course packed into a $10 Kindle book? Yeah? Then let me invite you to try Breakthrough Copywriting. It's only $10 and it's available now on Amazon as a Kindle. Breakthrough Copywriting was originally a $5,000 live seminar I held in Las Vegas. People flew in from all over the world to attend Breakthrough Copywriting. This Kindle book by the same name is a complete version of my four presentations at the seminar. If you would like to dig into copywriting basics or refresh the knowledge you already have, then you'll really like Breakthrough Copywriting. A-listers like John Carlton, Joe Sugarman, and Bob Bly give this book an A+, and you can read the reviews right on the Amazon site. This episode of the Copywriters Podcast is sponsored by Breakthrough Copywriting. Check this book out at Amazon.com today. And now, back to the Copywriters Podcast program, already in progress. Number four, popularity. Popularity. It's really tempting to think that the human desire for popularity kind of evaporates in high school and people grow up and grow out of it. 
And that's not really how life works. As humans, we are social animals. We still are, whether we're 6, 16, or 60. If you doubt for a second that this is true, look at all the people on Twitter who announce that they have a goal to have X number of followers, and they beg everyone to help them. I mean, what else could they be going for at the heart of it other than increased popularity? So how do you use popularity as the offer for your product? Surely you've seen people using selling systems like to get more likes, to get more followers, and that's an obvious, literal, direct way to do it. But there are subtler approaches, and some of them are not even that subtle. Dale Carnegie training promises to help its students become better public speakers and salespeople. And it all started with Dale's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Sounds a lot like they're selling popularity to me. But getting a little subtler here, even something like a course in doing magic tricks can be about becoming the person everyone wants to invite to the party, which is popularity. And let's not forget one of the famous, most famous ads of all time, which is not so much about the skills you will develop as about how people will gravitate to you and burst into applause. I'm talking about John Capel's famous ad, which starts, they laughed when I sat down at the piano, but when I began to play. I think there's two things to add to this. Number one, it kind of goes back to tribal status, wanting to not be left behind. We want to make sure that we're valuable to the tribe. And the more popular you are, the more status you have, the more valuable you are to the tribe, the more your own security is insured. I also think that there's a little bit of, especially for marketers, there's a study, it was called the Ash Conformity Test or the Ash Conformity Experiment. And they had like 10 people sit down and one of the people was actually being experimented on and the other 10 were part of the experiment, but the one person didn't know. And they would draw four or five lines on a piece of paper and all of the lines would be the same size except for one. And they would go through and they would ask everybody, which line is bigger? And everybody would say, they're all the same size. They're all the same size. They're all the same size. And then when they would get to the one person, more often than not, the one person who was being experimented on, when they asked, which of these lines is bigger than the other, even though they could see that one of the lines was bigger, they would, because everybody else in the room said they're all the same size, more often than not, the person being experimented on would also say they're all the same size because popular opinion is very important. So popularity leads to that popular opinion. If everybody likes it, I should like it too. If everybody's buying it, I should buy it too. Yeah. And I wonder if that's where the expression, do you believe me or your lying eyes? All right. Number five, pride of accomplishment. This is a really powerful one. So powerful, in fact, that children's sports authorities invented something called the participation trophy. They believed that the pride of accomplishment of the team members who won the game would crush the spirits of the team members who lost. So they decided to give the losers a trophy, too. But let's refocus on direct marketing and copywriting. Just as we were getting into on the last section about popularity, any course that helps someone develop a skill is a candidate for pride of accomplishment as being the result of what the product, the course, does for the prospect, much in the same way as popularity. Think about that for a second. Pretend I have a course to help you learn to play guitar. I don't. I probably should. I've taken so many of them. 
maybe I could write a course on how to buy guitars and store them in your house. <laughs> but, okay, let's say I had a course on how to play guitar. In my marketing, I would be better off emphasizing the skill side, would I? Uh, you know, how to play the same chord at five different positions on the fretboard, or would I be better off focusing on how the prospect would feel having learned to play guitar and playing impressively in front of others. I think the second approach would sell more courses, pride of accomplishment. You'll see all kinds of badges and plaques and documents that organizations give people for reaching certain milestones. You could say that a college diploma, especially for a really fancy school, is a token of a pride of accomplishment. It says, I spent four years and $200,000 to get this piece of paper. I'm so proud of my accomplishment. Remember, pride of accomplishment when you're brainstorming a hook for your copy. I don't have very much to add to that. I just know that it works. It definitely works. Okay, number six, increased enjoyment. There was an old advertising jingle that went, Double your pleasure, double your fun, with double mint, double mint, double mint gum. That's about as good an example as you're going to find of using the gain of increased enjoyment in your copy to sell a product. Once you start to think about it, so many products have increased enjoyment as their main appeal, whether it's cannabis, liquor or food, amusement parks, movies, the music industry, recreational sports like skiing, and we've just scratched the surface here. You could say that humans are pleasure-seeking beings which makes something I recently read all the more strange. It's from a 2002 book, and the author clearly had done his homework. In the book called Music, the Brain, and Ecstasy, author Robert Jourdain writes, Remember, pleasure is a concept seldom encountered in neuroscience or even psychology. There's hardly a book written on the subject. In fact, few texts even list pleasure in their indexes let alone devote a chapter to the topic. Things may have changed in the last 20 years, but I bring this up if you're having a hard time squaring the idea of increased enjoyment with your knowledge of consumer psychology. If so, you might want to put away your academic training and focus instead on what people actually do with their time and their money. Now, sometimes enjoyment is more of a mental or emotional experience than an outright physical one. The joy of being able to do something you never thought you could do, even if actually doing the thing isn't particularly physically pleasurable itself, can be a case of increased enjoyment. Take knitting. Not one of my favorite things to do, but I learned my girlfriend's aunt likes to knit, and there are millions of people who do. If, say, knitting is frustrating and difficult for a person and you can give them a technique or a device that makes it easier and better in other ways, then you increase their enjoyment even if they're not feeling thrills coursing through their body when they knit. Nathan, this also made me think of you. May I ask you a personal question? Sure. When you were a confectionery pro, do you think the decorations you added to the top of cakes increased the customer's enjoyment of the cakes? Oh, I know so, especially when little kids would show up for their birthday cake and it was something that they were really into and just the the look on kids' faces when they open up the box and they see their cake for the first time. Definitely a huge sense of enjoyment there. Did you ever put Power Rangers on cakes? <laughs> I did put Power Rangers on cakes. Okay. 
Well, there you have it. I mean, this is like a in-person, in-the-trenches, I don't know if you'd call cake-making trenches, but in, in the kitchen example. All right, great. Thank you. One thing that took me a while to learn in marketing, and it was through working with a lot of other business owners before I finally figured this out, a lot of times we try to sell something as something that people need. You need to get this. The problem is needs put you into kind of like a commodities area, but wants are so much easier to sell, selling to what people want, selling to people's enjoyment. That's why it's been my experience. It's a lot easier to sell to people's wants, to people's enjoyments than it is to sell to people's needs. And I don't know exactly, I don't have the idea fully fleshed out, but there's something there where selling to people's enjoyment rather than selling to people's necessities always has seemed to be a lot easier for me. Yeah. On the personal level, I think that's true. I've heard on the corporate level, which we don't really talk about much on this show, when you're selling a large corporate contact contract, you can sell to a need for big bucks. But direct marketing is usually one-to-one to, -one to a, a, a consumer, whether it's B2B or B2C. And the way I look at it is people buy what they need when they're in great pain, when they have a gun to their head or a subpoena, <laughs> essentially right? Everything else is pretty much what they want. So unless you're in one of those categories, which can't be a whole lot of fun as a marketer, that, I mean, unless you're really evil. Yeah, what they want. Uh, I like that idea. All right. So number seven, previously known as number eight, personal prestige. Uh, this is a close cousin to the pride of accomplishment, and it's powerful too. Why does someone belong to a, an expensive country club? Why do they wear a $100,000 Rolex? Why do they drive a $274,000 Ferrari F8 Spider? I'm sure the people who do can give you a lot of reasons, but there's no doubt in my mind that one additional reason they all have in common is the prestige that comes along with all those things. As herd animals, we people like to establish a pecking order, and the peckers at the top like to let everyone else know where they stand. Personal prestige is an established way to do that. Now, to be sure, there are also people who use symbols like country clubs, watches, and cars to fake a status they don't really have. All the Instagram pics of dead broke guys posing with a borrowed Lambo are your typical familiar example. But if you have a luxury brand, or if you have a plausible way of getting people to believe that buying your product will add to their personal prestige, then go for it. This is a proven way to attract ambitious prospects and make sales. And this is where celebrity endorsements can be really useful. Getting a famous person to show up in your ad with your product can definitely boost sales, especially when you are claiming or more likely strongly implying that your product will raise your prospect's position in the pecking order. Even something like career counseling can tap into the endless human desire for personal prestige. A better job with a more impressive job title spells prestige for a prospect looking to get ahead in the world of work. Okay, so anything you want to say before I sum up our seven ways a product can help a prospect gain something that are proven to increase sales? Okay, let's get right to our summary. Health, time, money, popularity, pride of accomplishment, increased enjoyment, 
personal prestige. The book is called How to Write a Good Advertisement by Victor Schwab, and we have put a link in the show notes. David, another fantastic episode. I can't believe that you still have two more lined up for this series because for the last two episodes, you've just dumped so much just awesome stuff on us. And are we going to have to wait another three or four weeks for the continuation like we did in between the first and second episode? No, maybe more like two or three weeks. Okay. All right, man. And if people want to check out more episodes or if they want to check out the show notes and get a link to the book, find it over at copywriterspodcast.com. And until next time, man, we will catch you later. See you later. Hey, did you enjoy today's show? Want to help get it into the ears of more listeners? Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.